Good morning, everyone. Friends, our, our first reading, the Old Testament reading, um, is directed, uh, was directed by the prophet to the leaders of Israel at the time, the kings. Uh, but it certainly implied to the religious leaders also uh, who were neglecting the people. And um, the warning is given to them about getting themselves back together again and understanding and uh, doing what is right in God's eyes. And, um, but God is always is faithful. And he said, but I will uh, bring shepherds forward that will do is my will for them and guard the people and govern over them rightly. And uh, ultimately, uh, it would be his son, Jesus Christ, would become uh, that eternal shepherd for us. This comes about by the second reading. The second reading, um, St. Paul is putting something forward for us that is extremely important. He is saying that uh, Christ's death, uh, we would understand it's a Paschal mystery, his incarnation, uh, his passion, his death, and his rising. It is through this uh, that he has destroyed uh, the disunity, uh, in particular amongst the Jews and the Gentiles, absolutely. But he would come because of the sin of disobedience of Adam and Eve, uh, which distance us from God. And he would write that relationship for us to bring us closer. And that's what Paul is getting at. What, uh, what's amazing is what he says. It is through this that peace will come. So this is a very violent thing. It was an execution. Uh, it was terrible. It was awful. It was painful. But he said, through this, God is going to bring peace and unity we will be through his blood, he says. And what he's talking about is the Paschal mystery. And um, certainly the temple was divided also. So uh, the, the, the temple, the Jerusalem temple, uh, the synagogues, as we would understand it, uh, inside were the Jews, outside were the Gentiles. Uh, that would be, uh, but Jesus was also talking of mind, heart, and spirit of the people. And um, this would become important. But uh, this... Um, and it's important today, and that's why I speak so much about unity and about peace, because uh, ultimately the Paschal mystery is the Eucharist, and the Eucharist is a sign of unity amongst us Roman Catholics and the Orthodox also, uh, and it's a sign of peace. And uh, my friends, our first reading, um, the warning that's given to the people of their time is a warning for us also. So for the nation... For the leaders of nations today, this is a warning. Get your act together. Start doing what is right for the people. And it also applies to the leaders of the Christian churches of this world. Knock it off. Start coming together. Start doing what you need to do. Govern my people. Take care of my sheep. And uh, we should uh, pay very close attention to that. Now, my friends, the Gospel of Mark um, sets the background against which we will understand next week's readings. So the next four Sundays, we're going to move out of Mark's gospel and go into John's gospel. And so uh, this gospel is setting us up to understand uh, what John, because John's way up there with everything, uh, how to understand it. And what we're going to hear about next week is the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. And uh, on a very simple read of our gospel uh, it kind of explains why there were such large numbers of people in a very strange place. They're in a deserted piece of land uh, where most people are in the city and everything for protection. But these folks are out in 
a deserted place where they benefited from one of Jesus's most spectacular miracles, as we'll hear next week, the multiplication of the loaves. And the crowds uh, had earlier been fascinated by Jesus's teachings. And we are told uh, that, uh, remember last week, Jesus had sent the apostles out two by two to preach and to do things. So they're tired. They're coming back and they're reporting to Jesus, here's what we did, here's what we could do. And uh, they're exhausted. And we can understand that. And, you know, Jesus wants a little bit of a rest too. And uh, so in order to do this, they get in a boat to go across to get to the other side. And um, it would be another isolated region just opposite where they were at. And uh, we are told that the people hastened. Hastened is uh, they ran. They ran really fast. They must have run really fast because Jesus is going across the lake taking the shortcut. The people find out, hey, where are you guys going? What? Oh, no. You know, and they start running. As they run, they beat Jesus and the apostles there. You can just see them on the shore. Hello. <laughs> Thought you could get away. <laughs> but um, so they intercept them. And why are there so many of them in this time? Well, we know, because we read the scriptures, that the official teachers of the Pharisees, that they were the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had a terrible attitude about the people who they called sinners. could not keep the law of Moses exactly perfectly, and because of that, they wanted nothing to do with them. Remember, the Pharisees and scribes are the shepherds of those people. And um, so the official teachers then abandoned them. The very thing we're hearing about the first reading. That's how the first reading and our gospel have parallels. And um, even worse, the Pharisees and scribes basically gave up on the people saying that they were useless and they were hopeless. And even worse, the people knew. The people knew how the religious leaders felt about them. And this is why they flocked to Jesus. He had compassion. He spoke the truth to them. He tried to teach them. He had understanding. And they immediately decided, uh, this shepherd is different from the others. And Jesus also took action. He did immediately something. He was tired, but all right, come, I'm going to teach you more. And um, this is why they flocked to him, because he did not reject them. And... Uh, something for all of us to, to grasp at. And uh, the Gospels put forth that, uh, on the one hand, Jesus is kind of astonished at the numbers, even more so their persistence uh, at following him. And so when Jesus gets to the other side and finds them, we are told he abandons the plan, which is to rest, and he resumes teaching them. On a very deep level, uh, Mark uses the gospel passage to highlight something that they would understand, uh, parallels to the Old Testament. And Mark tells us that Jesus looked with pity on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. My friends, for you who study the Old Testament, you already know what this means. This is a reference to Moses, and uh, who before his death asked God to send someone to take his place and to lead his people properly. And precisely so they would not end up as sheep without a shepherd. To help the reader understand the significance of the upcoming multiplication of loaves and fish, 
um, Mark goes further, and uh, the scriptural um, connection to the shepherd would have picked up Moses. Moses, remember, he was in the desert. He was in a deserted place, a place that was kind of hostile. And um, what Mark is suggesting to the people of his time, that God has been faithful and he has sent the replacement of Moses, who they've been waiting for. And Jesus will not only lead the people of his time, but he will feed them a bread that is far superior to the manna, manna that Moses was able to get from heaven. Exodus chapter 16. Friends, up until this point, Mark has already shown that Jesus has power over the elements. Uh, so remember, uh, Moses, Moses didn't, but God did. But Moses used the staff, remember? He parted the Red Sea. Mark has already told the people, Jesus walked upon the sea. So only God could do that. So Jesus must be God then. And... Uh, Mark also has shown how Jesus enjoys great renown, not in his own hometown, but everywhere else they knew him. The Nazarene, this rabbi, what a wonderful man. And up until that point, Moses was the greatest teacher of all time, and he was also the giver of the law. And uh, these, Mark invokes these images of Old Testament uh, in the gospel passage to help us to understand who Jesus is uh, and also to set us up uh, for what is to come, something that is going to be extremely difficult, the Eucharist. The very, remember, the manna was from God and help, but they, they had been waiting for such a leader uh, since the time of Moses. And Mark will tie in, ultimately, the multiplication of the loaves uh, with what we understand as the Eucharist. The shepherd image that Jesus uses in today's gospel is common Throughout the Old Testament, it conveys the notion of leading, of nurturing, of protecting, and is frequently associated and appropriated to God the Father, absolutely. But also it was to the kings and leaders of the Jewish people, Ezekiel, and that of shepherds who failed, uh, predators, and led them, away from, um, led them away from the faith. My friends, what... Um, what happened was the kings of Israel were trying to uh, form alliances with the other kings, the kings of the Gentiles. And in doing so, uh, they got permissive about allowing the pagan rituals to come into their own tribe, uh, meaning it, di it diminished the glory given to the God of Abraham. So you see, here's the issue. Here's the problem. And leaders did even worse than that. Um, but... Um, this is the failure on the part of the shepherds of their time to provide this guidance and leadership. And um, Jeremiah prophesizes that God uh, is certainly going to punish them, but he's going to raise up, more importantly, he's going to raise up the true shepherd to help his people uh, in their present need and will establish that one righteous king. And there's a reference to the shoot of Jesse uh, and David, and that would be um, Christ. He is from the line of David. And uh, this is how the first reading relates the gospel passage to it, uh, the failure of the shepherds of their time, um, sheep straying uh, from God's ways. Uh, so common in the sacred scripture. But my friends, I would apply this to today uh, when I 
we look around, the world has much beauty, but there's very much a great pockets of hatred and violence and um, just to name a few things. And this is, uh, for me, the, uh, the ma manifestation of people moving away from God and not being shepherded properly. And uh, Mother Church, uh, we must shepherd our sheep. And, um, but the lost and straying sheep are not only within the church, meaning Christians, but also outside the church. Also, Jesus told us uh, in the scriptures, I have others, but you do not know about them. And Jesus is our leader. He's our master. And if he's concerned about the others, then Mother Church must be too. So we must take care of our own, but we must take care of the others. Uh, and we should be going about that. And it can seem overwhelming uh, at times. And we Christians, we can. What can we do very tangibly, at least now? We can live our lives in holiness and faith and love and charity, walking in the ways of Jesus Christ, being that example to the others. And uh, it matters what we say and what we do, meaning how we act. And um, what Christians cannot do is give in to hopelessness or to be callous about how they go about doing and saying things. This is not uh, uh, the ways of Jesus Christ. And uh, at the very least, then, we Christians need to um, at least ask God through prayer to send world leaders who will uh, govern over the peoples justly and with good conscience and with love and try to unite and not divide nations and to bring peace um, so we do this, and again, we don't do this with despair. We do this with hope in our heart. And that's why you hear Father Mark all the time preach uh, almost so often about unity and peace because this was what we told Jesus said. Didn't he not preach to you? Didn't he not send his peace to those who were near? That meant the Jews. And those who were far, the Gentiles. That would have been us in Jesus' time. So uh, we... We go about doing that. Um, so, my friends, uh, uh, let us be attentive to these things. And uh, um, I, I've been getting some emails, and people were wondering uh, about the chalice, about when will the cup come back. And right now, Arch, the Archbishop of our area says no for now. Um, so, uh, let us be at peace with it. Uh, let us not fight about this. Um, so we'll be at peace. And then um, when it comes to the sign of peace, uh, he says, no, not yet. And I got emails from uh, parishioners who are, um, they're uncomfortable with it because they're, not because they don't like you, or, but because they're still nervous. And if you reach your hand out to them and they refuse, it puts them in an awkward position. And I'm afraid that they won't come back because they feel awkward. So right now, the Archbishop says, no sign of peace. Uh, now, when it comes to families, I'm not going to fight that battle. <laughs> if husband and wife want to extend peace to each other, then go ahead. And brothers and sisters, I'm not that. I'm not and people have been all along. And that's not a battle I want. Um, but in general, um, we have to... Um, take into consideration all of our brothers and sisters. And the time will come uh, when everyone will be very comfortable, so we'll do that. 
Um, I also been getting emails <laughs> about my finger. Um, so um, remember, I broke my finger, and the bone is healing, but the nail is going to take forever, and it does look terrible. So here, so the body of Christ, and you guys are look. Oh my mercy! They're not looking at the consecrated host. You're looking at my finger. So it's a huge distraction. So I wanted to tell everyone, my finger was broke. The nail's healing. It looks terrible. I'm looking at, um, so um, I can't put a Band-Aid on it to cover it because if any of the consecrated host particles get into that Band-Aid, I have a problem because that's consecrated host. That's the Eucharist. So I can't do that. I called my sister and said, what would you do? And she said, I would put a coat of white fingernail polish, and then I would put a coat of natural on it. I'm like, maybe I can get one of the, one of the teens to do that. So uh, Father Mark is left-handed. So my left hand is my dominant hand, and I hold the bowl with it because that is the primary. Um, so I'm going to switch hands. It's uncomfortable, believe it or not. So I'm going to switch my hand and... Uh, instead of giving the Eucharist with this hand, I'm going to extend the Eucharist with this hand so you stop looking at and becoming distracted by my nail. Um, so I don't want to do that. Um, so I'm going to work on that. Um, now, my friends, um, I want to address, um, I want to address the letter that our Pope uh, has sent out to the church. And uh, the letter is Tradiciones Custodes. And he uh, he's attempting. He's attempting to resolve something, um, and um, he's. So this has to do with the the extraordinary form mass. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, the extraordinary form is the one that is done before 1970. It's the Tridentine mass, the one that is done in Latin, um, and uh, he is going to suppress pieces of it, um, and. Um, it's hurtful to the people who celebrate Mass this way. I mean, I understand what the problem is. Uh, and very quickly, the problem is sometimes, the, not all of them, but some of the folks who uh, only adhere to the extraordinary form, the Latin form, uh, would say, well, Father Mark, I do the Novus, novus Ordo, Ordo, which means a new Mass, um, would say, that's not right. It's valid but illicit, or even worse, they would say, that's not the Eucharist. And that is hurtful, and that is an anathema. Uh, that is a terrible thing to say. But um, knowing this, it's not everybody who, who is adhering to the extraordinary form, and um, I just don't know if this is the way to go about it. And I'm not a bishop, Thank God. In this case, I give him glory. That keeps, I mean, it's hard enough being a pastor of a parish um, to do this. And um, I can't imagine being the pastor of the world. That's what Francis is. And he needs our prayers. I just don't know that this is the way uh, forward. But uh, I believe the Holy Spirit guides our church. If I do not believe this, then I need to leave. It means I need to step down as a leader. Uh, so I trust the Holy Spirit knows what the Holy Spirit's doing. And, uh, and uh, I pray the bishops, first of all, knock it off and stop fighting with each other because the world is watching and, uh, and come together. And uh, uh, the bishops of the United States have made a statement, which I'd like to read to you. And they said today, meaning Friday, Pope Francis published Tradiciones Custodes, 
an apostolic letter, issue moto proprio. Moto proprio means he did it of his own authority, and he does have that authority. He's a pope. Um, uh, on the use of the Latin liturgical text approved prior to the reform of 1970. The president, uh, the archbishop from Los Angeles, he's president of the Council of the Bishops in the United States. I welcome the Holy Father's desire to foster unity among Catholics who celebrate the Roman Rite. He went on to say, as these new, new norms are implemented, I encourage my brother bishops to work with care and patience and justice and charity uh, as together we foster a Eucharistic renewal in our nation. Um, so we'd certainly pray. Remember, it matters how we, how we say and what we do. Um, so it has already created a firestorm, uh, a very uh, fiery rhetoric and hateful things. Um, I know what he's trying to do. I just hope, I'll keep my hope in my heart that this will happen, but it has already caused pain and suffering. And uh, Satan loves this. He loves when the church is divided. He laughs at us. He laughs at you and I. He wallows in this. He just thinks it's incredible. Not only in the church, but when nations, when political leaders go after each other, he loves it. I'm tired of him laughing. And I'm tired of us giving it to him, all the material to laugh about. So let us stay as one. Let us find a peaceful way uh, to work out these differences. And let us be an example also to the leaders of nations to do the same thing. Find peaceful ways. Okay? <laughs>